You want to slap me? <laughs> oh, that was a good one. <laughs> really good Foley work. <laughs> Primo. We just would like to remind you that none of the things that we say should be taken as official recommendations. We try to know what we're talking about, but this podcast ultimately represents the opinions of a couple yahoos with master's degrees. It's (laughs) mainly for entertainment. Right. So if you feel that you need help with your own mental health, we encourage you, please talk to your very own doctor or your very own counselor. Get real help. And remember, this podcast is not safe for work, so listen with headphones. Hello, and welcome to Freudian Sips, the podcast about brains, beverages, and other BS. I'm Bonnie. And I'm Anna. And I think it's going to be a tough start it's today be a bumpy road <laughs> folks it's not gonna be easy <laughs> i'm not sure what we can blame it on we can't really blame it on the pandemic thing anymore we've d- blamed sure we it. can can we still do that <laughs> yeah okay. also we we did skip a week and that always kind of throws us off sorry about no <sighs> new episode true. last week folks we were feeling a little bit of burnout and we just needed a minute i needed five minutes but <laughs> <laughs> i needed three days <laughs> So, we're just going to jump into this thing today. I Maybe. This is going to be, like, loose and, like, free because we have no structure. <laughs> so, we're just going to, like, chat. We're just going to, like... Hang out. We're just going to, like, hang out and, like, vibe. <laughs> we're going to vibe. Okay. If that's what you say. <laughs> That's what I say. <laughs> yeah, because Sipsters, we we really do usually kind of be more organized. We like have a little outline or something. We do. We send each other outlines. Yeah, we talk about who's going to talk about what. Two episodes ago was about OCD. Yes. And we, we revealed that we both have kind of OCD tendencies. Yes. And so maybe this is us trying to break free of that limiting organizational my, style. I don't really have – like. I don't consider myself organizationally OCD. Really? No. Like, we talked about kind of what my OCD looks like. Yeah. I think I kind of have a little bit of the organizational thing. Right. So, this is stressful. So, mom is stressing so I'm, out. And I'm just I'm like, stressed, and vibe. She's like vibing. <laughs> I'm vibing. I'm vibe checking mom and she seems very stressed. Anna's new thing is the vibe thing. Really? It is. I don't, I don't know. For the past few weeks, I've just been like... That's not the vibe. This did you, is not did the you vibe. Did you hear that from somebody or? A vibing is a, is a thing on the internet. Okay. Okay. Vibes. You kids. Something it's a you kid kids thing. Kids are yep. doing these Hello, days. Hello fellow kids. <laughs> let's vibe. <laughs> is it like auras? Kind of. Hmm. Energies. Ah. Uh, There's okay. also a dog. <laughs> we have a dog in here. We have animals today. <laughs> There's just animal kingdom up animals. in here. That's right. That was her dog voice. So, <laughs> yeah, so right. if you hear me talk like that, I'm not talking <laughs> to you, sisters. I'm talking to animals. <laughs> so what are we talking about today, Anna Banana? Well, we're talking about, and actually, I, I do want to apologize because I did put out a tweet that's like, hey, what do you guys want to hear about? And there were some people who responded with some really good topics. Like one was 
the psychology of racism, which Mm -hmm. is obviously very topical right now. One was how to love someone with depression, which is a really good topic, and I do want to dive into that at some point. But those both seemed very heavy, and I think we weren't quite ready to tackle them But we will do those. We will, yes, we we will get to those. But today we're talking about self-esteem, which is a pretty general topic anyway. Mm -hmm. And I think even more specifically, we're going to kind of talk about how critical we can be of ourselves. and Right. And this is sort of similar to imposter syndrome, which Mm -hmm. we have talked about in episode five, like pretty early on. So you can kind of refer to that because I do think there will be some overlapping topics here. But yeah, when we're talking about self-esteem, it's how we evaluate who we are and how much we're worth, basically. Mm Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of offshoots. In researching for this, it was very hard to differentiate between like self-esteem and self-confidence and self-respect and self-worth. There's a lot of those self-terms that are very, but I think self-esteem is kind of the overarching umbrella. I agree. So we're going to try to keep it, I don't know, general, I guess. Okay. If you say so. (laughs) We don't have to. (laughs) We're just going to vibe. We're going to vibe. We're going to go where the vibes lead us, baby. We're going to vibe where the vibes take us. Where are we vibing first? Well, I I thought the things that I wanted to focus on, I guess, the most was is the idea of Mm self-criticism and how critical we are of ourselves and, and how we learn to be that way. And how we can kind of fight against it if we're negatively criticizing. Right. Which I, I know criticizing is a negative word in itself. But I do well, think that. Like constructive criticism. Right. And we learn. I mean, if you think about it, we learn to be critical of ourselves, not only in a negative way, but in, like you said, constructive well, yeah. criticism as, at a very young age. Because that's how we internalize, like, how to socialize, how to build relationships, you know, how to choose values. Right. All of that stuff is part of what we learn learn from our parents and our teachers and the people around us we have to internalize that so that as we get older it's not our parents who are saying this is what you should do and shouldn't do but it becomes us who say okay this is what i should or shouldn't do or what i choose to do or not do right which kind of goes to moral development have we talked Mm -hmm. about that well when we talked about the life stages and stuff and we talked about piaget and but we didn't actually talk about moral i don't think so no So do you want to talk, because I would like to just talk specific, I would like to just talk specifically about self-criticism and that negative side of it. Mm -hmm. Do you want to do something else before we go to the negative side of it? I mean, I have some just general like things that various psychologists have said about self-esteem. Let's do that first. Okay, so the first one I'll do is chronologically and then the rest are just in an order. Okay. okay. <laughs> so the first one chronologically is David Hume. He was actually an Enlightenment thinker, a Scottish Enlightenment thinker in the 18th century. And his writings include kind of the first expressions about self-esteem, kind of the first critical thinking about what mm-hmm. self-esteem is. Where they actually kind of labeled it. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And according to him, different levels of pride and humility can make for virtues and vices. So if you have too high pride, that's a vice. But what he called a well-founded but concealed self-esteem is a virtue. Mm-hmm. So balance. Like that's if you good. have yeah, too little self-esteem, mm-hmm. it's not good. If you have too much, it's bad. But if you have just enough and if you are humble about it, it's a virtue. It's healthy, yeah. When you said that balance word, all through my notes, I have balance written. <laughs> balance, balance. We often go back to that We idea, do talk about that a lot. But I think with, with this, it's especially true. Right. Hume had an interesting idea where he talked about humans in society. 
having what he called an artificial virtue of good breeding. So that's adhering to the customs of slightly exaggerated deference to each other in accordance with social rank. So it's basically concealing our own pride so it doesn't shock other people's pride and how we feel like we have to have a certain amount of pride based on like our social standing, which I think is still a thing. I was going to say it's definitely a thing. Yeah, so so that is kind of where he went with that. I have to talk about Sigmund Freud, of course. Yay! Yes. So Freud has some built-in ideas about self-esteem. Like, for example, one of his central ideas is the id ego superego. And when we think of ego, we kind of can use that as a synonym for self-esteem, but not really in this context. Like, when he uses it, it's not really a self-esteem synonym. Mm -hmm. It's more of, like, a comprehensive sense of self. I did find a quote from Sigmund Freud that says, before you diagnose yourself with depression or low self-esteem, make sure that you're not surrounded by fools. Oh, that's good. I like that. So kind of keep a little pin in Freud and what you just said about self-esteem and ego. Okay. Because when I talk about the negative part, I'm going to talk about something different. Uh, William James was, he had a lot of titles. He was a philosopher, psychologist, geologist, and anthropologist. Wow, he's a busy guy. I know, he had a lot going on. He liked his education. a lot of irons in the fire. (laughs) (laughs) He identified two dimensions of the self, which in one source I found were called the me-self and the I-self, which are stupid, and most other sources called them the me and the I. I kind of remember studying that in grad school. It It does sound familiar. The me self especially, yeah. like, because that's dumb and it sticks in my head. But the the me self is like the knowledge that you have about yourself and the I self is the process that you learn about yourself. Oh, brother. I know. It's that kind of like, makes my head hurt. <laughs> 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 and then within the me self, so like within your concept of yourself is the material self, the social self, and the spiritual self. The social self is the closest to self-esteem as we define it, according to James. Morris Rosenberg was a social psychologist who defined self-esteem as a feeling of self-worth. He developed the Rosenberg self-esteem scale. Uh, I use that. You do? Uh-huh. With adolescents. It's good. I, I looked at it. Do you want to explain what it is? Because I've never used it. It's one of those that has several things and then you pick... I can't remember if it's a number or if you pick which one, but I just used it a couple weeks ago, actually, with one of my adolescent clients. Oh, it's it's like the strongly one, agree to one, strongly two, three, disagree. Yeah. yeah. And so there are things like, you know... I feel bad about myself or Mm -hmm. I can never do anything right Right. or I think I do a good job at things. And then it's supposed to, you know, kind of rank if you have self-esteem issues. Yeah, it's still pretty widely used. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was the when I was looking through self-esteem, like clinical stuff, it's pretty much the only like self-esteem scale. That's the only one that that I use. Yeah. Like you said, that that's kind of like it's hooked to depression because if you don't have good self-esteem, that's an anxiety, of course. I think I use it with like young adolescents. Mm-hmm. Carl Rogers. Yay. That's <laughs> Whenever I say a psychologist name, I was like, yeah. <laughs> Did, yeah. Have we done an episode on Rogers? I don't think so. Carl we Rogers. Young, but we Yeah. Didn't. Is humanistic psychology. I know. I can't believe we haven't done him. I know. I think it's it's one of those things that like we don't want to tackle because it seems it's too huge. big. Yeah. It'll be like six episodes I like know. that one. No. <laughs> Eric Erickson. Eric oh my god! I found a quiz online that says what psychologist are you and I got Eric Erickson. <gasps> oh my gosh. That's why we did seven episodes because I felt <laughs> connected to him. You were, you were letting your Eric Erickson out. I was like, we gotta devote seven episodes to this. Um, so Carl Rogers developed humanistic psychology and one of his theories 
was that a lot of people's problems stem from them despising themselves. And that led to his insistence on therapists giving unconditional acceptance to their clients. Woot woot. I know, which That's is... what we do. Yes, we are humanists if we haven't mentioned that before, which we have. <laughs> Every episode. Every episode. <laughs> One of the quotes I found from that says, Every human being, with no exception for the mere fact to be it, is worthy of unconditional respect of everyone else. He deserves to esteem himself and to be esteemed. Okay. So Carl was like, we just got to do it. We just got to have good self-esteem. <laughs> got to like ourselves. Just got to like let, e- let each other like ourselves. Stop it. Uh, <laughs> Abraham Maslow. Maslow. Which we talked about. I should now. have a cheer for I- Abraham. <laughs> I should like make up a cheer like she for has every a, separate like a little, a little handshake for everyone. <laughs> a little secret handshake. Pyramid. Yeah, we did the pyramid. <laughs> yeah. In episode 24, we talked about the pyramid. It's kind of too bad that this I'm is I'm so just... sad you can't see me doing a pyramid motion. This <laughs> is really upsetting. That I, that's why I seem sad when you one. did it, because I like, in my heart, I knew that the, the Sipsters didn't see you do that. I'm sorry. And that makes me Sipsters, sad. Sipsters, imagine she's making doing, a pyramid. She's doing the A from YMCA. <laughs> but it's a pyramid, not a It's a, a pyramid. <laughs> so he says, I mean, self-esteem is one of the sections of Maslow's hierarchy, the, the pyramid that mom, mm-hmm. that mom is, is doing with her body. Uh, <laughs> and... And in the pyramid, the original pyramid, self-esteem is the one right under self-actualization. The original one, not the mom one. Not the mom one. There's also there's also there's yeah. also more yeah, ones, but the original one. The, I just thought it was the mom, the, not the one that's made up of mom's body. So, so Self, yeah, yeah, self-esteem's in there somewhere, right where the top of the head is. I think he thought it was pretty high up because it was right. It, and basically the way that Maslow looked at the pyramid, we talked about this in the Maslow episode, is you have to have every need below it to reach the need above it. Mm-hmm. So basically if you don't have healthy self-esteem, you can't reach self-actualization, which is the top of the pyramid. Mm-hmm. Pretty important. Yes. He separated esteem into two categories. There's higher and lower. So higher is esteem for yourself, so like achievement and mastery and independence, and lower is the desire for respect from others, so like your hmm. status and your prestige and stuff. And that goes back to us being social creatures, which again, we kind of talk about in every episode. Yeah. And and how much of our self-esteem is based in what others think of us or what we believe others think of us, not necessarily cuz I think that is a big part of bad self-esteem is when we attribute yeah. to others things that they're probably not thinking about exactly. us. Exactly. Exactly. And Maslow said that esteem, the esteem level of hierarchy is closely related to the other levels in the pyramid. So like belonging and safety and that like if we don't, obviously if we don't have those, we can't reach healthy self-esteem, but that also our esteem is built from those. Okay. Martin Ross. I don't really know that name. I don't either. But he came up with three states of self-esteem that relate to things called feats and anti-feats. There's got to be a better word, right? (laughs) Like Foot feet? No, no. <laughs> Anti foot, foot feet. feet. <laughs> foot feet. Foot feet. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Not, Not foot feet. feet. <laughs> no, like F E A T S. Oh, thanks for clarifying. <laughs> but foot feet is a really good phrase that I'm in love with now. I'm, what was his name again? Martin Ross. I feel kind of bad because I didn't cheer for him. 
I don't know. Woo, Ross. Woo. Nice to meet you. <laughs> yeah, you and your foot feet. <laughs> so feet. <laughs> So foot feats are things like triumphs and virtues, and anti-foot feats are things like defeats and embarrassments. Why didn't you just call them defeats? Exactly. Feats and defeats. <laughs> <laughs> One foot, two foot. Mar- Three foot, blue foot. Defeats. Whatever was that book. Yep, that is the book. That's straight thumb, from Dr. Seuss. Thumb, fingers, thumbs. One foot, feet. One foot, two foot, red foot, blue feats. <laughs> Dr. Seuss was never the same. (laughs) Okay. So he had the three states of self-esteem. The first state is shattered, which is very dramatic. So this is when the person doesn't see themselves as valuable or lovable, and they define themselves by their anti-feats. I'm going to keep saying that because it's what he called it, and I'm going to do that, like, sigh every time because it's stupid. Shattered. That makes my heart sad. I know. That's... Really low. <laughs> but I mean, you, you and I have both had clients who have had shattered yeah. self-esteem. Absolutely. The example that I saw here, like defining yourself by your anti-feet is like a person who sees being over a certain age as a bad thing. So they'll define themselves with I'm old. I get that. Uh-huh. Yeah. Calling you out a little bit here. But it's like she defining- She just gave me a look like dun dun dun. Well, because you like <laughs> did the like looking away like guiltily thing. <laughs> And it's defining yourself by your failures, basically. Right. It kind of fits in there. The second state is vulnerable, where your self-esteem is generally positive, but it's vulnerable to risks to that. So if you think that there's like an imminent threat to your self-esteem, like an imminent embarrassment or defeat, your self-esteem is really easy to break down. So you can get easily nervous or you can use defense mechanisms. That's big in this one. (laughs) So like avoiding decision making is big in this category. And I feel so attacked right now because (laughs) that is so me. When I'm feeling really anxious, I, like, won't make decisions. Because we're afraid we're going to be wrong? Yeah, I think that's it. This could be people who display really good self-esteem, like, display really good self-confidence, but actually it's just an act. Mm. Uh, Reaction formation is big in this one. Yay! I like reaction formation. What's reaction formation? formation? Basically, like, you don't want to show something that you really feel or whatever, so you're doing the total opposite. Yes. So, like, if you have a need to win things, you might purposefully lose games mm-hmm. to, like, separate yourself from that. Or you can, like, try to reject social acceptance, even though that's something that these people really desire, which I think everyone really desires that. It's well, a natural need. You really want to be in love and have a significant yeah. other, but you fear rejection or whatever, so you... This kind of, I think of those, like, kids especially in, like, high school and stuff who were very, like, anti-establishment or, like, emo or goth or whatever. And all they really are, want is to be loved. Yeah, but yeah. They, they try really hard to not fit the mold because that is something that they really desire. Right. And then the third state, obviously, is strong. So these people have really high self-esteem, high enough that anti-feats or threatened anti-feats don't shake that. They're cheerful and they're humble because it's not like they need to brag about their self-esteem or their feats or anything. And they can fight for what they want really hard because they're not afraid of failure. I would think the percentage of people who are in that category is very small. I would say so too. I would say most people probably fall into vulnerable. It's it's a yeah. it's probably like a bell curve. A, yeah, the situation. spectrum thing again. Because I like to think that I have pretty good self esteem usually, but there's certain spots that I'm really vulnerable. Right, right. So. Well, and even like Ross notes that the people who are in this category, it's not like they're unaffected by things. So mm-hmm. he says that. 
no self-esteem is indestructible and that there are always situations where if you come across them, your self-esteem can go to one of the other states. Ah. So this is very much a you can shift between them. Because I could see even a person who had real healthy self-esteem, if something, a divorce or significant, could send you all the way down to shattering. Right, or like if you lose your job or something like that. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of people hold their identities in their job. So if you like lose that, it could really shake your sense of yourself. Mm -hmm. That kind of stuff. Yeah. Albert Ellis. Ellis! Oh! I gave him a shout out. (laughs) Okay. That was genuine. I thought you really like him. I was like, do we like Ellis? Are we, do we like him? I'm just doing shout outs. <laughs> shout out. Hey. So Ellis created. We have talked about Ellis, haven't we? Uh, no. Not even in passing? Probably. But not a whole episode. No. Ellis is the creator of Rational Emotive Behavior Therapy, which is R-E-B-T. Ellis criticized the concept of self-esteem, which is weird to criticize a concept like self-esteem. <laughs> Because it's kind of like uh, everybody believes in it. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, it's a thing. Well, How can he, you argue? And he did recognize it as innate. He recognized like self-esteem as an innate thing in us, but said that it was ultimately unrealistic and destructive to the self and social spheres. What? He said, okay, he said the healthier alternative to self-esteem is unconditional acceptance of self and unconditional acceptance of others, which is what REBT is based on. That's just humanistic, right? That's just humanistic? Yeah. <laughs> Ellis. Yeah. You copycat. You copycat, Ellis. <laughs> don't let this hurt your self-esteem, but I you're know. a copycat. Yeah. It's a good thing you don't believe in self-esteem because we're about to rip you apart, dude. <laughs> but I mean, to me, the first part of that is self-esteem. Yeah. It's like, I'm not going to call it that. I don't like that word. <laughs> I'm just going to call it something else. And then it's going to be that I made something new up. Well, it's it's he's basically saying, I don't believe in bad self-esteem. You should just have good self-esteem. Like, that's not how it works. It's <laughs> not how it works, Albert. So that's basically the people that uh-huh. I found who had things to say about self-esteem. Do you want me to talk about brain stuff or do you want to go to your thing? So does your brain stuff talk about like how our brain is when we have good self-esteem? Sort of. It's brief. I'll just go into it. Okay. So uh, I found research that was conducted in 2014 by Robert S. Chavez and Todd F. Heatherton. They found that self-esteem relates to activity in the frontostriatal circuit. Whoa. Very fancy term. I don't know that so word. The, I know. I don't I know, know either. I don't know. <laughs> so the frontostriatal pathway connects... <laughs> God, the medial prefrontal cortex to the ventral striatum. Let me explain. The medial, <laughs> the medial prefrontal cortex deals with self-knowledge, and the ventral striatum involves feelings of motivation and reward. So, oh. yeah. So the stronger the connections are, the higher your self-esteem. It correlates to higher self-esteem. So we're wired to have good self-esteem. Well, we're wired, but our brains get wired certain ways because of things that happen to us. Aha. Aha. (laughs) (laughs) That goes directly to what am I knows. Okay. I thought you were like (laughs) giving me a gotcha. And I was like, what what am I gotcha-ing about? What's going on? Okay. Mom just got really proud of herself in her notes. All right. Because I don't do brain stuff. And when I actually kind of got something that connects to your brain stuff. Okay, well, stuff, what's your brain stuff? Well, my brain stuff is specifically about how our brain is affected by negative criticism. Yeah, negative, negative. You could look at it as how criticism from other people affects our brain that then follows through and causes us to have 
negative self-criticism. Yes. Yeah, that we, we criticize ourselves. Right. That we learn that. But my only brain stuff was that criticism from others affects our amygdala, which we have talked about many, many times. Right. Because what does our amygdala do? It's where like memories and trauma responses right. are so stored. It's a, so in a sense, criticism is a trauma, Basically. so to speak. Yes. Because cause when someone criticizes us, if you think about it, it, it builds all kinds of like, oh God, I don't ever want to do that again. Right. You know that, oh, I'm so disappointed in you is way worse sometimes than getting mm-hmm. a smack on the butt from your mom. I mean, yeah, but that's bad too. It is. It's all bad, but it's all bad. <laughs> <laughs> but your amygdala responds either way. This so is, uh, this goes to. Have you read about rejection sensitive dysphoria at all? Yes, a little bit. Uh-huh. It's really big in ADHD, actually. Mm-hmm. But it's being really sensitive to what other people think or say about you. It's rejection sensitive dysphoria is what it's kind of being known as. But I think it's built into ADHD so much because kids with ADHD get really negative reactions because of the things that ADHD kind of makes them do, uh-huh. like the the running around and the and the not focusing, not doing well in school. So they they have that hardwiring because of the negative reactions they've gotten from that, right. and that carries into adult life. Where if anyone says anything, like I, I've read people who have ADHD who say like when they get hyper focused on something and they start talking about it, and someone reacts. Back badly to that they like totally shut down because mm-hmm. they're really sensitive to that reaction from mm-hmm. people and i think what you said is really important and that's that we've talked about before that when someone goes through trauma that it literally rewires us yeah it, yeah. it changes the way our brain is and so if especially if as children we experience a lot of negative criticism our brains are somewhat then wired to right. have that critical like someone is criticizing me someone is and pretty soon it becomes internalized well and when we grow up with that as Especially, our brains get programmed to expect it mm-hmm. from everyone. Mm-hmm. So, like, if we grow up with a really, like, critical parent or something, then we're going to expect everyone to be that critical of us. That's right. That's um, why I expect everyone to think I'm hilarious and great. <laughs> <laughs> you are! Because you are! That's my vulnerable self-esteem showing where it seems like I have a really good self-confidence and actually it's Garbo. Well, that's... That's interesting, though, because yes, I was reading about self-criticism. It kept coming back to the parents. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, God. Oh, God. Help me. <laughs> because, well, okay. <laughs> How real do – we've been pretty self-disclosing. We have been doing a lot of self-disclosure few, lately. I think it's the pandemic. We're like, oh, God. <laughs> like, we're stuck in this <laughs> introspection place and we just need to let it out. Well, because before I get too heavy into this negative self-criticism thing, I've I've often wondered how I have been so self-critical mm-hmm. because my parents were really pretty positive toward me. You're frowning at me because of dad, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, dad in heaven. Uh, Anna was just frowning at you. <laughs> Love that. But, but I mean, comparatively... Sure. My dad was pretty easy going. I mean, he also wasn't a wealth of affection and acceptance. You're right. He wasn't the deepest. No. Well, no. Of anything. He was funny. (laughs) He was a good guy. He was a good dad, but he wasn't real. But I mean, I remember my dad telling me that he was proud of my grades. And, but my mom, on the other hand, was like, 
continually reinforcing. Yes. And, yeah. and you know, like, it's okay. You tried your best. You know, as long as you do your best, it's okay. And you can be anything you want to be. Were other people in your life critical of you? Grandparents or uh, your brothers or? No, not my brothers. Teachers? I mean, teachers just like everybody else. But I was kind of a teacher's pet until, like, fifth grade. <laughs> it's like, so, I just yeah. had that look because I was like, teachers are never critical of me. <laughs> Teachers critical of me? No, 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 no. (laughs) No. I did everything I could to suck up. (laughs) But see, I I feel the same way that's kind of fearful in me about your – because I think that you're very self-critical. Yeah. Like even more so than I am. Yeah. Well, I think I grew up with a father who we've talked about on the show was was very critical of me. That was his kind of personal brand of emotional abuse as being very critical. But mm-hmm. also I watched you have bad self-criticism of yourself. Right. That was redundant. But you know what I mean? And But that was one of the things I wrote in my notes. Like, right. oh shit. And I got double, <laughs> double. Because this uh, particular author that I was doing a lot of reading on, his name is Golan Shahar. Uh, he wrote a book called Erosion, the Psychopathology of Self-Criticism. Wow. He's a professor of clinical health and developmental health psychology at a university in Israel, actually. Oh, I cool. thought that was kind of cool. But a lot of the things I read from him were really good. But one of the things that he wrote was that basically when we are very self-critical, that came from mostly from our parents. Yeah. Or I mean, our, our significant others when we were children. So like you said, grandparents. Yeah. Well, whoever raised, I mean, not, we've right. kind of talked about that before on the show too, where when we say parents, we mean caregivers. Right. Because we do want to include like people who were adopted or in foster care or any of that right. stuff. So. So but from, even those people usually have experiences from their birth parents that are affecting them right. usually negatively. So he said, you know, it comes from the way that we are treated by those people, maybe in a harsh or critical or punitive way, but also that people are differently vulnerable because of basically the way that our brains work, which yeah. we talk about all the time on our yeah, podcast. Because I mean, you kind of did the aha gotcha moment earlier, uh-huh. but I do think there also is just a difference in how our brains are wired from the get-go. Right. I mean, everyone's brain is wired just a little differently. We we have general ideas on how things wire it differently based on like situations in our life, right. but we also have different temperaments. Well, and it's like you said about the people who are diagnosed with ADHD who have the dysphoria. sensitive dysphoria. Yeah. yeah. And we say it's because they've been criticized so much, but they're also... Their brains are wired differently That's true. anyway. So yeah. so neurologically, yeah. they may be predestined to pre- have that yeah, yeah. a little more. Yeah, they're set up for that. So, But the other part of the parenting thing is that we do set an example. And like Anna said, if you grow up with a, a parent who is themselves very critical of themselves, that's why you had to do that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And I mean, you know, as you are now an adult, you and I have talked about that mm-hmm. quite often, you know, like uh, basically me apologizing to you for that. She apologizes all the time for but, her parenting, but she did great. <laughs> but when you're, when you are being self-critical, as uh, let me just talk as a parent for a moment, when you're being self-critical, it's hard to step out of yourself and look at it and say, oh, this is not a good example to set for my right, kids. Right. It's kind of the same thing as sometimes um, I'll have a client who's in an abusive relationship and they say things like, you know, well, I want to stay here because I want the kids to have both parents and all that. And and you kind of challenge them and say, is this what you want your children to grow right. up and believe? Is This is kind of the same thing with yeah. self-criticism. We we need to take a moment to step out of ourselves and, and see how we talk about ourselves in front of our kids. Mm-hmm. 
um, because we don't want our kids to to learn that. Right. But it's kind of a double whammy when you're already suffering from being critical of yourself, and then you say, "Oh God, I'm being a terrible parent because I'm doing this yes. in front of my kids." Yeah, it's hard. And to it can pull out really start to avalanche on you if mm-hmm. you're not careful. So I want to read a quote to you from. Shahar, this guy that wrote this book, he said, self-criticism is a tendency to set unrealistic high self-standards and to adopt a punitive derogatory stance toward yourself. Once these are not met, as invariably they are not because they get the bar is raised Mm -hmm, more and more. mm -hmm. And so it it is very much like a downward spiral. Right. Because we we say, gosh, I did that. It's so stupid. And then I'm so stupid for being so stupid. Mm -hmm, And it mm -hmm. goes on and on and on. Yeah. It's part like... You have a hard time separating what you do from who you are. Exactly. Which, I mean, I think that in some ways, the way we behave is linked to who we are. But also, if we everyone fails at stuff. And I think people with low self-esteem have a tendency to use that reflection. I mean, it's kind of going back to as much as I hate the term anti-feet. Like, <laughs> that, that is kind of like defining yourself by those failures is really unhealthy. Exactly. Instead of just using it as like a, oh, I messed up or I failed at that thing even though I was trying really hard. How do I use that to grow? If we are terribly self-critical, it often leads to things like depression and Mm -hmm. anxiety, eating disorders, even suicidal ideation, self-harm. There's a lot. Because if you think you're not worth anything, it's hard to think that you have a place in the world. Right. Shahar in his book talked about not only that, you know, how it leads to mental health issues, but that it also leads to some psychosomatic symptoms where we have physical manifestations of our angst, basically, and things like chronic fatigue, you know, that a lot of people struggle with is sometimes rooted in just feeling. I mean, I think that's hard to separate from depression because that's a thing depression does to us. Absolutely right. It's kind of hard to separate any of it once it gets all tangled together. Yeah. I want to go back for just a minute about the trauma thing that we talked about. Besides just the, if you grew up with parents who are somewhat critical in it, and it's kind of like when you call out your grandpa. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't call him out. <laughs> okay, you rolled your eyes about him I or whatever you did. Squinty eyes. Yeah, a little squinty eyes, maybe. If we all, if we each look at our own parents and say, hmm, were they, were they especially critical? Is that why I'm so self-critical? If you feel like sipsters, if you feel like, yeah, I, I am kind of critical of myself. And what I mean by that is it can go from the, something I do all the time is I say, God, why was I so stupid? Yeah. I say that. You do that a lot. I, I know I do. You literally just did that. Like I think during this episode. Or right before maybe. Right before maybe, yeah. Yeah, I do that. It's terrible. And if one of my clients does it, I'm like, hey. like, stop it. Yeah, and you know, I remember my mom used to say, hey, don't talk badly about my daughter. You say that to me. I know. Yeah. (laughs) I got it from her. Yeah, that's a good one. Go on, I got it by watching her. But sipsters, if you yourself look and, and say, well, I do that. I put myself down. I Or I'm so fat or I'm so ugly or whatever your thing is. Right. To be aware that part of, we always talk about self-awareness. And part of fighting this negative self-criticism is to just be aware that you do it. Because mm-hmm. I had to be honest, Anna. I don't realize. That you're doing it Unless that much. I focus on it. Or unless I, someone calls you out on right, it. Right. I don't. Yeah. I don't realize that I do it as much as I do. But when I start focusing it on, on it, I'm like, oh, crap. Yeah. Yeah. And even though we're kind of, it's we're kind of over talking about the pandemic thing. I think the pandemic thing has brought a lot of self-criticism out in people. Like, I'm not, especially with, <laughs> I've talked to a lot of parents who feel like they really didn't do well with the. Oh, sure. Working with their kids on their schoolwork. Several of my clients have talked about that, that yeah. they weren't good enough to work with their kids on their 
Well, and I also think, I mean, I, I made the joke earlier about capitalism being a blight, but I do really think the society that we live in, which is heavily capitalist-based, has really put these ideas in our head that our worth is tied into what we're doing for work. Mm -hmm. Like, our job informs our worth. Like, I think that goes back to, I don't want to get too political here, but, like, the the negative attitude toward, like, people who are struggling with homelessness and stuff like that. Like, people saying, well, they need to just get a job. And, like, that kind of, it's not, like, explicit. They're not explicitly saying those people aren't worth having a house or food or, or anything because they're not working. But that's kind of what it's tied into. Yeah. And that totally, go I mean... Yeah, we live in a society where we don't have unconditional worth. We have conditional worth based on how much we're contributing and how much money we're making to the billionaires. Okay, I'll stop now. But <laughs> but it, it really is like during this time, I have had a lot of people struggling with their identity because their jobs have been interrupted. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that really ties into what people think of themselves and their worth. I agree. <laughs> Oh, that was very dramatic. Okay. But I also want to say that what in the beginning we talked about the balance between the negative and the positive being self-critical. I do think that a lot of us take some of our worth from our work because we feel that we are called to do that work and it's That's part true. of who we are. Like, I mean, don't you feel like being a therapist mm -hmm. is more than just a job for Oh, you? yeah, yeah. It's who you are. It's sure. Who, well, so and I do think that there are people there. who, beyond the capitalist thing, there are people who just really put a lot of effort into right. their work and they, and they enjoy take, it take pride and, in it. Right, yeah. right. So, I mean, I think that, that does play a part in it too but and I, so that's not a negative thing no if no. you take some of your self-worth from doing your work well right and therefore maybe if you haven't been working for a while because of the pandemic stuff mm -hmm. it, it makes sense that you're suffering a little bit right because you've yeah. lost some of that i mean it uh, on the spectrum thing it, it's a difference between like people who just go in and punch a clock and feel like they have to be doing this to earn money mm -hmm. versus people that are taking pride in their work and right. i think both of those people those types of people are struggling with the identity thing because of the pandemic. Okay. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> Been a while since we did that bad mic noise. Uh, no, I know. <laughs> but I do think this kind of leads into it. Do you have more? No, go ahead. Because I think this kind of leads into a discussion on like affecting factors of, of self-esteem. Uh -huh. And we kind of talked about like the parenting and how we grew up. But also just our chronological age has a part to play in self-esteem. Like obviously the ideas that we have about self-esteem change as we get older. Uh, I saw that on average self-esteem in children is relatively high, like kind of across the board. And if it's not, it's usually related to like we kind of talked about physical punishment or withholding of affection from parents. And that goes back to the conditional self-esteem like Rogers talked about how right. if our parents are withholding affection we think it's because we did something wrong. And then it said that during adolescence, self-esteem keeps declining, which is really sad, but that there comes this gender gap that shows up where during childhood, boys and girls report similar self-esteem levels, but in adolescence, girls usually have lower self-esteem, and this makes them more vulnerable to the kind of ideal body image. I was going to say, that's I bet that's all about physical. Yeah. Physical beauty. Yep. Which um, sucks. It, it does suck. Especially in Western media, which kind of goes into how culture affects your self-esteem. One mm -hmm. thing I read was that individualistic societies versus collectivist societies. In collectivist societies, people don't struggle with their self-esteem as much. So if, oh, if you don't know what collectivist individualistic is, 
America is individualistic culture. Mm-hmm. It's every man for himself, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, that kind of thing. Collectivist everybody, cultures. Everybody be unique. Right. is like uh, Asian cultures that are like the community is important and we all need to come together, that kind of mm-hmm. thing. So on average, America is yet yeah, unique, individualistic, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. And that makes sense that if we all want to differentiate ourselves from people, our self-worth is really tied up in that. Right. And our self-esteem is very much like how different am I from other people mm-hmm. and Am I bad different? Am I, like, if we're thinking about being different, it converge into I'm too different, I'm different in a bad way, I'm all this. But it's then interesting then that, especially when we talk about adolescence, that that's kind of a time in our life, not just just then, but that sticks out in my mind, Yeah, where if they're struggling with their own worth, sometimes those are the kids who do things to be even more different than everybody else right. sometimes. Well, that's that reaction for I was going to say, that's yeah. exactly right. Because they're so scared they're not going to be able to fit into the norm yeah that they go completely the other exactly. way there's and no way i can fit in that box so, so I'm, I'm gonna, gonna kick the box off a cliff exactly exactly <laughs> which is not a bad thing because i do think a lot of people when they do that find the box that they actually want to be in right but i also think too that 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 just continues then to it's kind of like what you said too about acting as if you did have good self-esteem but right. really you know so the kid who's kind of being real outwardly rebellious and loud mm-hmm. and like, I'm this and I'm, I'm the so, best. Yeah. But then they're actually really shaking in their boots about not being who they want to be. Right. That's just very sad. And that kind of goes to this idea that I wanted to touch on, but not go too far into, because I think we could do a whole episode on this topic as well, where like everything we talk about, self-esteem is a spectrum. Yep. Where if you do have too much of it, if you have too high self-esteem, that goes into narcissism. Uh And we don't want that either. That's bad too. (laughs) Don't go there. Don't go there. (laughs) I do think we should do an episode on narcissistic personality disorder. That'll be fun. We should. I might get political in that one. (laughs) That'll be great. Then let's put it off for a while. All right. Let's not do it. (laughs) But uh, this also goes to, I want to talk about contingent versus non-contingent. Did you read about this? I just saw it. I didn't really write anything down. It basically means conditional versus unconditional. Okay. So contingent self-esteem is based on external sources. And like we kind of talked about. We can't really avoid that. Like it's we internalize being external a child. things. Yeah. yeah. You growing up and saying this is wrong, this is right. Right. Or, but I could job or yeah, don't do that again. Exactly. And when we get to be older, if we still have that, if we're still waiting for other people to give us that validation, that's, that's contingent. A yeah. Right. So it's, and I mean, in in parents, you got to do that. Yeah, yeah. You just have to again go back to the balance thing mm-hmm. and 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 be careful about how you do it. But you absolutely have to give your children boundaries, sure, and help them to understand rules. Well, and, it's about giving them boundaries and letting them fail, but helping them understand that their worth is not tied into that failure. Mm-hmm. So, oh no, you you messed up, or oh no, you didn't do this, or oh no, you you failed at this. But then saying, but you are still you are still worth love, and mm-hmm. you are still worthy as a person, mm-hmm. and we can fix this problem. And now let's see what we learn from that exactly. mistake. Yeah. yeah, it sounds so easy just talking about it. Doesn't yeah, d- it? that's all you got to do. <laughs> Parents, just come on. Just be a perfect just parent. Just do that. Come on. But contingent self-esteem kind of goes to 
I saw the term relationship contingent self-esteem, which is real bad. Mm -hmm. Because I think that we talked a little bit about abusive relationships. I think that is something that people who have relationship contingent self-esteem can very easily be vulnerable to abusive relationships because abusers are really good at giving that validation, especially at first. And then when they have the person in the cycle of violence, they usually put that away. Exactly. So... Don't have that. Don't do that. Don't, and then <laughs> don't be a narcissist go, and don't do this. Right. Don't, don't go either way. Don't go this way. <laughs> go the middle. So non-contingent self-esteem is unconditional. It's knowing that, like I said, you have worth as a person no matter what, and it's stable and it's solid. Uh, I read about a theologian named Paul Tillich who described this as acceptability not being based on a person's virtue, but instead given in spite of our guilt, not because we have no guilt which is very Christian. <laughs> it's a very Christian ontological thing. So, uh-huh. yes. Well, and I was just thinking, of course, I would think of that right away. But, right. but just spirituality in general, uh, most spirituality is based on a unconditional acceptance kind sure. of thing. You yeah. know, that you, are, that you are valuable, that you are worthy of love. Mm-hmm. You know, just about any spirituality is just about uh-huh. like that. Yes. The so. good ones are. Yeah. <laughs> Again, the spectrum. Yeah. <laughs> Not all of them are. Be careful where you are. Yes. So, Mom, how do we work on this? If we have bad self-esteem, what do we do? Well, I have some little points about, and the way that I'm going to talk about it is when I say bad self-esteem is is I'm going to go back to that self-criticism thing. Because yeah. to me, we have bad self-esteem when we pick on ourselves. Right. When we listen to the negatives and we listen to the bad recordings and the, and we and we listen to the shame. And so... Just some some things that are going to sound like very common sense thing. The first thing is what we already kind of talked about, and that is to actually start to listen to yourself Mm -hmm. and notice, you know, just kind of for a couple of days, notice when you put yourself down. Maybe even make like a journal of yeah. like, oh, I, I said I was stupid for doing this. Which, or these are very CBT techniques, mm-hmm. the cognitive behavioral mm-hmm. therapy, which we've talked about before. So that's very like, that's thought stopping. Right. Which is a very CBT Right. Technique. And this is another thought stopping one. The the next one is, and I got these ideas, by the way, from the same author that I was talking about before. He's mm. a good one. He is. I'm going to, yeah. What was the book title again? Erosion, the Psychopathology of Self-Criticism. Good stuff. Right. So the second idea would be, when you do find yourself ruminating about something negative, and it could be, it quite often is something you've already done wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, like if I just wouldn't have done that. Right. And you go through the, oh, if I just, if only I wouldn't. That I go through that with clients a lot where they're like, if I had only done this. Mm-hmm. And I have to be like, listen, if we were here, you had chosen that. You would be sitting here saying, right. if only I had. Like, you know, mm. like there's going to be what ifs no matter what. It's in the past. You had to be like Rafiki in The Lion King and say, it's in the past. <laughs> Put the past behind you or whatever he said after he hit him with a stick. Okay, sure. <laughs> <laughs> if you're not a Lion King fan, you didn't get that reference if, at all. <laughs> if you want to work on your self-esteem, have someone around who will hit you with a stick. That will work really well. <laughs> so if you find yourself ruminating, again, thought stopping, change the channel, do something. And one one way to do that is to make yourself get up and get active or change your focus. You and know? do something you feel competent at. Right. Look forward and, yeah. and congratulate yourself. Because there are going to be, you're not going to be good at everything. Mm-hmm. Like there are things you're going to feel competent at and feel not competent at. So focus, like work those things that you feel competent at more into who you are as a person. Right. All of these things are very CBT. Yeah. Um, um, the next couple kind of work together. One is that if you find yourself saying, you know, something like, I will never be a success, I will never, or the worst things are going to happen, to kind of stop yourself and look at what's real. 
and ask yourself, what's the real, what are the facts? Yeah. You know, how, how many times has this happened or has this ever happened to me? Yeah, we could start to overvalue the negative stuff. Mm-hmm. And we and have so, to be able to not do right. that. <laughs> and, and even if, if there is something that's a big chance that it's going to be negative, have, let yourself think through the negative for a minute. Like, yeah. okay, well, okay, so what if... They break up with me. Right. You know, that's the negative. They're, What's the everybody worst case always, scenario? Everybody always breaks up with me. This person's going to break up with me. Okay, well, just, just think about it for a minute. What's the worst thing that can happen? Okay, it's kind well. of a plan for the worst. Expect the best thing. Yeah, exactly. And one thing that they said that I really liked because I, I do this with some of my clients sometimes, is when you find yourself kind of picking on yourself and putting yourself down, ask yourself what you would say to a friend if they were doing that. And that's kind of what yeah. we were talking about before, like don't talk about my daughter that way. <laughs> if you heard your best friend talking like that, what would you say to them? How would you want them to change that? And be as compassionate to yourself. And I keep hearing this over and over again. I just saw somebody on TV the other night talking about it. Be at least as compassionate for yourself as you are with your friends. That's interesting because when I was researching for this episode last night, I was talking to Michelle, friend of the show, Michelle. Mm -hmm. And I was like, hey, what what kind of stuff would you want to hear from an episode about Mm self-esteem? So first of all, I have to stop and say, Michelle, you are kind and you are smart and you are beautiful. You personally. And Sipsters... (laughs) You are too. <laughs> That's right. Same goes for you. But but yeah, that was that was one of the things she specifically mentioned that when she's having really hard self-esteem, she takes the time to like try to imagine if someone she knows was going through the same thing and how she would react to that. Mm-hmm. And I think that helps us externalize it a little right. and goes back to like recognizing the illogical thoughts of it. And you said you said a few minutes ago about the idea of being unconditionally worthy, being a very Christian value. Mm-hmm. As a Christian, I was thinking about how we believe as Christians that Jesus told us that we should love each other as we love ourselves. Do and, the opposite. And I, and I was thinking, <laughs> love yourself as you, you love other know, people. Did you know that a lot of us don't really love ourselves? Yeah. But I mean, I think my personal faith is that Jesus was telling us you do have to love yourself too. Right, right. You, you know, and it goes back to the balance thing again because you don't want to like, I love myself. <laughs> Although I do that sometimes when I'm feeling a little down. <laughs> I love myself. She just, um, she just made out with her hand a little bit. But the idea is that we can't really love other people deeply and fully if we don't like ourselves at all. Well, I think that also goes into when you have bad self-esteem, sometimes you get so wrapped up in that that you don't have room in your brain to accept other people. That's really true. And also, I do think we have this kind of natural, we ascribe worth to other people based on the worth we ascribe to ourselves. That like, Ooh, that's good. If I'm not worthy, is anyone worthy? Even if we aren't thinking that in the front of our brains, that could be hidden somewhere back there. So mm-hmm. uh, one thing I read was that people who have high self-esteem are process-oriented versus results-oriented. So that's kind of going back to like having a growth mindset like we right. were talking about. Right. Where if you have a mistake, then you say, how is this going to help me? Exactly. Here? Like, okay. And and yeah, if you're ascribing the worth that you have to just the result, like if I do this perfectly, mm-hmm. and a lot of things I read that were like, how do I stop bad self-esteem? Said like, stop being a perfectionist, which is like, stop being sad. <laughs> just just stop. stupid. <laughs> dumb. But... <laughs> Just stop. Just stop. Just don't do it. And a lot of them were like, if you're just looking at the results, yeah, and the results aren't perfect, they're never going to be perfect. And if you're holding your worth on that, 
it's not going to go well. But if you're looking at the process and just, and also just enjoying the process. Mm-hmm. Like if I'm doing art or something, the, the end product is probably not going to be what I envisioned in my head. But if I enjoy the process of doing art, then I'm still going to enjoy it. And it's not going to be time wasted. And I'm still going to put worth in that because right. I enjoyed it. You can kind of take that too toward parenting again. In my mind, I was thinking being a teacher, but then it's also being a parent. Is that there are times when you're with your kids, no matter how good you are at parenting, (laughs) it's not going to be 100%. Everybody's getting along and, you know, everything's clean and everything's whatever. To truly be a good parent, you have to enjoy the the process of everyday life and giving baths and arguing over brushing your teeth and eating your vegetables. The crappy stuff is all part of the journey. Yeah, it's all important. Yeah. And also it can help to figure out where your bad self-esteem comes from. Mm. I mean, like we were talking earlier about how it is a lot based on the the parents and the people around us and our caregivers and and all those important people are in our life. So if we're as adults struggling with this bad self-esteem, it may help to stop and go, whose voice is that? That goes to more like talk therapy and person-centered therapy. Yes. Yeah. That where did I get these ideas and, and like you might, you might need to forgive those people for doing true. that. And I've I've done this before with people where we kind of go into that topic and what they end up saying is like, well, I, I probably got it from this person who was in my life. And they usually have pretty negative ideas about that person. And I'm always like, they sound like a terrible person. Why are you why are you ascribing so much worth to what they're saying? Mm-hmm. Why is their opinion so much more important than other people's opinion or your opinion? If you think that person's a terrible person and why do you believe them? Right. So, And it gets to a point as an adult where you have to make a choice not to believe that anymore. Right. But that goes back to our brains kind of being rewired at some point. And that whole negativity bias, you remember talking about that? Negativity bias that we remember the negative things better than the positive things. Right. The overvalue and the negative. Right. Yeah. Because our brains latch on to those negative things. Right. And so that's something that happens to all of us, guys. That's not just like one or two people. We all have that negativity bias. That is a legitimate cognitive bias, yes. So, you know, our brain clings on you know we could have 10 people tell us that we did a great job and one person say wow you really suck at that and the one that's going to replay in our brain a hundred times is that person so you have to make a mental choice that you're not going to listen to that recording anymore so actually the whole self-esteem thing comes down in the end to choice again right that if you feel like you're struggling or if someone's told you you know you really put yourself down a lot it might be something that you want to choose to work on Right. And that's, yeah, being conscious of it, like you said, one of the first steps is just noticing how much you do it. Mm -hmm. It's not going to get better immediately. Right. It would take a lot of work. Yeah. It really takes a lifetime of work because things happen throughout your (sighs) life that cause you to lose some of it. Yeah, that's why I've said that to people who like are frustrated with the process of therapy like why why aren't I better basically and I have to be like yeah I have to be like this took your whole life to build up why did you think it was going to get better in four sessions right (laughs) like what that's not it's not how it works I think he's telling us we're done okay I think we're done (laughs) fine a dog is telling us we're done can I thank the listeners yes um I would like to thank you listeners Whoa, what a surprise. Sisters, we're so glad you're... And we want you to know that we are pulling for you to have positive self-esteem. We believe in you. We are your cheerleaders. But you shouldn't hold your worth in what we think of you. But don't be contingent on our our value. Yes. But we do value you. And... (laughs) 
<laughs> you're all valuable. That's right. You are all precious and valuable. No so thank you what. for joining us and please join us again for another episode. Yes. Thank you so much for being here. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all the social medias. We're Freudian Sips Pod and everything, as well as our site, FreudianSipsPod.com. Uh, if you want to get a hold of us directly, email us at FreudianSipsPod <laughs> at gmail.com. We actually got a really lovely email from someone Aww. asking some more questions about like OCD and stuff like that and how that affected their lives. So so thank you so thank much. You. And we love to hear from you. So yes, yes, please. That was really cool. I do really like just hearing about what people got from our episodes and how it made them think about mm-hmm. their own lives. That's I think that's why we're doing this. I mean, we're doing it because we have fun doing it. But also, if, if we just affect one person, that's that's awesome. That's that's all I can ask for. Absolutely. So with that being said, we also like to get nice ratings. So uh, please <laughs> remember to leave us a nice rating. we have contingent self-esteem. <laughs> yeah, we do. We really do. <laughs> Uh, so please boost our self-esteem by leaving us a nice rating and review uh, wherever you can do that, wherever you're listening, Apple, Podchaser, wherever that is. And please join us next time. Our theme music is Sweeter Vermouth by Kevin McLeod, and it sounds like this. Mm-hmm.